you're trying to do a transformation or if you want to get to that next level, you have to look at yourself and figure out what has to change. Because if nothing changes, nothing will change. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tricentials 1% Better podcast. Our mission is to make a positive impact on the life of anyone who interacts with Tricentral. Over the past 20 years, we are humbled to have helped some of the most successful brands and organizations from around the world and are excited to share incredible stories of improvement directly from our clients, partners, and employees. Our goal is that every podcast provides insights and learnings that lead to a mindset of growth, continuous improvement, and lasting value, both at a personal and professional level. 1% at a time as small changes can lead to truly transformative results. Thanks for listening to 1% Better and be sure to hit that like button. Hello, I'm Craig Thielen and this is the 1% Better podcast. I'm very excited to have our first employee of Tricentral on the show, Polly Skaya. Once you meet Polly, you can't help but like her, her perspective, her story, and her energy, all of which will leave lessons for all of us in 1% Better. Welcome to 1% Better, Polly. Thank you. All right. Well, this will be fun. So, Polly, you and I have worked together for the past two, three, four years. I'm kind of losing track of time. It's been a lot of fun. Polly's part of our enterprise agility team where she helps our clients understand and implement better ways of working, driving change for better outcomes. And this sounds easy, but it actually requires a wide variety of talents and skills including strategy, leadership, learning development, dozens of different techniques, and coaching at all levels of an organization. The first question that one might ask in this field is, how do you gain the knowledge and experience necessary for such a broad set of skill sets required and in a very demanding role at times? So first, I thought maybe, Polly, you could just kind of walk us through your background from how you grew up to your early career, because I think that tells and leaves a lot of clues as to what you've become today. Thank you. I was just telling my mom the other day about how in 1995, I was telling my dad, I got a new job. And he said, really, what are you going to be doing? I said, I'm going to be a consultant. And he said, <laughs> what does that mean? And, and I said, all those jobs I've had all these years before, yeah, everybody wants those skills now in one person, and I've got that. And so it was just really kind of funny because my dad's like, so what do you do? I said, I am a jack of all trades and master of none, and companies need that. And and I think that that kind of, that's where it all came together. Well, if you but... figure out how to answer that question, I still get that question. So what do you do? What's consulting? What's management consulting? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, and, and it's really kind of funny because I grew up in a small farming community in Southwest Minnesota. I, I was born in California and my dad brought us here for his job. And it was just my mom, my dad, my sister, and myself, small town of 311 people. Okay. And we, we were very engaged in the community. And we helped run a lot of town celebrations and different things sure. like that. That was my introduction to project management. Didn't know it at oh. the time, but I helped start my first nonprofit when I was 17. I had been crowned the queen of my hometown. There were eight girls that ran and I was I the need, winners. You need to get the pictures out for that. 
It's pretty funny. And so, but I helped start a nonprofit and also instead of riding in the normal six parades, I think my dad lined up like 18 or 20. Wow. And so that's how I got to. Dad was an overachiever. So now we know where you got that trait. There you go. Yes, indeed. And then this sounds really stupid, but that year they, they were promoting. So we had to ride in a fishing boat in all these parades. Okay. And we had to have fun with it. So we're throwing candy from this fishing boat and just those types of things where you put yourself in these strange environments, meeting all these people that you'd never imagine meeting in your life, let alone now you have to smile and be cordial and all that stuff. And all those skills lead to being a consultant and being able to fast forward to where I am today, looking at all these different environments that we're working in and massive global company that's my client right now. And Mm -hmm. each entity is like its own little town. And you have to be able to go into that town and get to know the town folk, right? And right, the culture as we call it, the big the big fancy word for it, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I learned how to do that riding in a fishing boat around towns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Gosh, so, Polly, we've got a lot in common. So I grew up in a town of 150. Oh, there you go. And I did the the town parade and I rode a unicycle juggling. Oh so wow. I was just thinking when you were talking about that story about how I used to think that being a small town was so like boring and I had to get out. But on the other hand, you're absolutely right. Like you have to wear every hat, like every day, everyone's doing everything. And so it does give you a wide variety of like, oh, you need help baking or you need help building a a garage or you need help doing this. Like everyone knows how to do everything. So it's very interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Which my very first paying job as an adult, graduated from high school, I was a welder. And the irony is, and I've held so many different types of jobs and through the years, but my current client, when I first went in, I went in for business agility. And there mm-hmm. was this idea that you can't help us because we're not IT. Right. And listening to the story, it was because they saw me in a certain light. When I shared that was my first job, all of a sudden the defenses came down and they were able to see me as one of them. They knew I could at least start to understand where they were coming from, which was really kind of cool. So when I work with people and like the teams or I coach people and I'm a trainer as well. And when I do these activities and help people get outside of where they are today to see the possibilities, it's really about looking at your past to see what are all those skills that you've forgotten because you now have this formal training. And how can some of those past skills help you today? Because you learned and we forget that we opened doors and we thought it's kind of like coloring outside of the lines. What Mm -hmm. else can we do to create a new outcome or whatever. And so anyways, it's just kind of fun taking some of the things that I've done in the past and showing how they actually are relevant today in this fast paced world. Yeah, give us a little insight into that. I was trying to keep track on how many different jobs and roles I lost track at about 10 or 11. But just just very quickly, walk us through the kind of progression of your career, all the way from when you said you were a welder, just all the different roles. I was a welder. I did retail. I was actually a manager of a fabric store. I wound up becoming a manager of a chocolate store, the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory in California for a mall, then came back to Minnesota and 
got into more fabric retail, was a bartender, did hospitality, so waitress and- Customer service, okay. All the customer service, yep. I actually worked at a hardware store. I had forgotten about that when we talked before. I came to Minnesota- You got to problem I, solve at a hardware store because everyone comes in with the problem, right? Like, I need to do. fix this or do you have this? And you got to figure it out, right? That's right. That's right. And then wound up coming to Minneapolis and worked for a bank that had the world's first telebanking service. Wow. And so I got to do that. I did some more retail management, went to work as a temp. I got to work as the concierge for the Minneapolis Athletic Club. And then I wound up at a medical company and did duplicate data entry for a J.D. Edwards implementation. And so this was back in the day where you'd get a card handwritten by the CSR and they would enter it into the system of record and then they would give it to us and we would have to create a duplicate copy of it in the new system nowadays, right? We just data flow. But I was so great at breaking the system that I became part of their QA team. And I was really great with technology in high school. I was the only girl in IT and I learned some programming and things like that. And so wound up getting into QA, then became a business analyst for the company, then went on maternity leave. I was six weeks into maternity leave and my boss said, we have an opportunity. I came and interviewed and I wound up getting hired two levels higher than I was interviewed. And it was for a position to be an analyst to help solve some of the insurance and billing issues. Okay. Then I wound up in customer service, got promoted into inside sales, handled the Northeast region of the country, did some pretty cool things there, and then wound up going into a manufacturing company, high-end furniture. So I did training and I did sales and then went to a consulting firm and I became a part of the HR team. And I actually built resumes. So people would send in their resumes and I would put them in the format for the company. I did all the reference checks and I was so great at turning reference checks into more business for the company and into more candidates for the company. So they wound up putting me into a recruiting position and I was really great at connecting people with jobs. The resume looked great. But the people didn't understand and they wouldn't close the deal. And it's like, what happened? You're perfect for this. And they're like, well, they just didn't like me or they just whatever. And then when I dig deeper, it's because of their limiting beliefs. And mm -hmm. that's how I actually got into coaching was by helping people get rid of their limiting beliefs. And then I went on to, I ran my very first project. I had three computers and I went in and I asked the owner of the company to get me another computer or, <laughs> or could we upgrade to Windows? I've heard of people saying I need one for each hand, one keyboard for each hand, but four? I had already talked to the IT director and I said, here's the deal. And he said, here's your choice. And so I went in and I talked to the owner and he agreed. The IT director was on board and I ran a project to upgrade from DOS to Windows. And I trained all 32 employees in the office how to use the new technology and the applications. And yeah, and that was that's how I got into project management. And the consultants had heard about what I did and they wanted me in the field. And I was making too much for the company as a recruiter. So I actually left and went to another firm and became mm. a consultant and got to do some pretty cool stuff. I did some marketing editing for the, the governor at the time. I was working as a lead in the Y2K efforts for the state of Minnesota. I worked on one of the 
the world's largest data trans, so not duplicate data, but actually world's largest medical company data transfer projects for a large firm that they literally, a couple of companies merged. We had to get all their data synced up in one system from all the other systems. And so that was a huge effort. That was pretty cool. But yeah, I think I've held somewhere around 28 different jobs and can't even tell you how many roles, but I feel less bad that I don't remember all of them because, like I said, after about eleven, I I lose track. So so many people in their career, I mean, m- many people have had one change, two changes, maybe maybe three, but to have, I mean, so many, it's like it's almost like you can't even. You're probably forgetting some of them, mm-hmm. right? What do you think the common thread? I mean, is it that you just get bored and you, you're always looking for something new? What would you say is a common thread throughout all of those roles? I think it's a combination of I'm always looking for continuous improvement within myself and the companies that I work with. And if things start to become status quo, yes, I get bored and I want the next challenge. And not all companies are ready to go there. And as a consultant, it's It's kind of cool to be able to be at a client site for six months, a year where I'm at right now, over two and a half years. And that's literally the longest I've ever been at any one employer. Like literally, I've never worked. I was just thinking as you were going through all these jobs, man, we're lucky to have you for as long as we have because it's about time for a new job. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? But you've had a lot of challenges. I mean, that's one of the things about the space that we call agility is that it's incredibly, like, I mean, there's been so many different challenges and so many different groups and so many different areas and techniques. I mean, there's literally probably 10, 12, 14 different techniques. So it's almost like, like you said, the whole accumulation of your career and everything you've learned from childhood, it's like you you can use some of that and you need it all. And that's one of the challenges with this term called an agile coach, which is probably one of the most overused terms in the planet, is it really means a hundred things to a hundred people. And you really need so much if you're really going to try to coach at all levels. I mean, you got to be looking at that going, I need all that, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely, because you never know what piece of your past is going to help you today and help others get forward to move into their future. Yeah. And one of the things I want to talk about a little bit is I think you've also had some setbacks along the way. It hasn't been all great roses and uh, Super Bowls, so to speak, but you had a medical challenge that set you back for quite some time. So talk a little bit about some of those setbacks that you've had and how that's altered your mindset as you've sort of had to overcome them. Yes, I've had bad luck with other drivers. And so I've had a few car accidents. That's actually why I wound up in Minneapolis. And I I went through six months of rehab. And the beautiful thing was, I got through that program, learned how to basically live again. And it opened the door for me being available to that telebanking position. Or I was working in that role as a telebanker and I was trying to get on the bus and the bus driver shut the door in my face and I slipped on the snow and the bus rolled over me. And so so I couldn't couldn't sit any longer, which is why I went from telebanking back into retail because I had to be able to stand and move and change my positions all the time. And then I got pregnant with my daughter and then I couldn't do the lifting anymore. And so each one of these circumstances, you look at it as 
one door is closing, another's right. opening, right? And that's that's kind of how I look at it. 2017, I had an opportunity to be T-boned as I was going through an intersection. Someone ran a light. And I literally, we were just talking about this this weekend because as that happened, you go into this fight or flight mode. And I just, adrenaline kicked in. My first thought was, I'm okay. My car is not. How's the other person? And I went over there and her first words out of her mouth was, I wasn't on my phone. And then I said, I don't care. I just want to make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. And then I let her know I've called 911. We were right by the police department. They showed up, they blocked off the scene and I got into the ambulance because I didn't realize how hurt I was. And they helped me over. I got into the ambulance and when I sat down, all of a sudden everything started to relax. And then I'm like, ooh, and it was just pain through my body. They put me in a wheelchair. They got me into the emergency room and they're asking me all these questions. My husband walked in the door and all of a sudden I couldn't process anything anymore. Sure. I had scrambled my brain yeah. and, shock. and I wound up, it was, well, it was shock. And it was also, I wound up with a, a traumatic brain injury. Oh, wow. And I wasn't even aware of it and went through six months of brain therapy. Mm. And, and one of the things that I learned long ago was surround yourself with amazing people and never be the weakest link. And I've done that ever since. And so when this happened in 2017, I had such a fantastic team around me that we were able to accomplish something that, I mean, as soon as our work was done, which was going to be in, that was in April and our work was scheduled to be done in August. And as soon as our work was done, the very first day, we saved the company three and a half million dollars by flipping the switch. Like mm -hmm. you don't always get to make that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. And I was able to still lead my team and be there to help answer the questions and everything, even in my diminished capacity, because we worked so well together. And I think that's what's really important is building that team and that trust and that supportive network. And so, mm -hmm. and, and I, I attribute all of this back to my childhood. Mm -hmm. And that's how you grew up on the farm. Yeah, and we, we've talked about this a lot on the show where in many cases, some of the the, the best learnings, the breakthroughs, the the moments where people kind of took their life and personal and professional to the next level, so to speak, happen when they had tragedy or when they had some major setback, could be getting laid off or fired, or it could be a personal situation, and it could be things that are even worse. And one of the sayings that we've said is that learning doesn't happen in a place of comfort. So do you believe that? And how do you, now you're in the corporate, now put yourself back in your corporate environment and you're working with a very large organization and there is a lot of comfort. There's a lot of, we've been successful over the years and how do you get people to understand, you certainly don't want to put them in a car and run into them, but how do you get them in a place where it is very uncomfortable to get some new learnings? It is. It Well, and most especially when you're an agile coach or when you're working in this agile transformation space, people think you're trying to come in and in essence, tell them they don't know what they're doing. They've done it all wrong all these years. And that's not what we're trying to do at all. So we have to find a way to help them feel comfortable and build trust with us so that we can then help them 
be okay. Like we're going to be your life preserver for a while to help you feel comfortable with this change so that you can get uncomfortable, but still know we're going to keep you floating. And that's the image that comes to my mind of what we do is just really the only way we're going to grow and learn and transform is through when things don't work. I just said this earlier to a group today that if it's always status quo, then we're just running on that hamster wheel. And that's fine. But if you're trying to do a transformation or if you want to get to that next level, something you have to look at yourself and figure out what has to change. Because if nothing changes, nothing will change. Let me ask you this. How do you do that? Every human's different. And as we know, change is one of the hardest things for humans to do. It's We're literally not wired for change. And many studies have proven out that it's it's incredibly hard, even when people face life-threatening diseases and habits that they need to change to live. So how do you, what are some of the techniques and practical techniques? Let's say someone in the audience is working, their job is to help drive some change, and they're working with people that they're not really getting it or they're not really acting like they want to change. I think it's about helping them. Everybody has their own why. And everybody has their own internal motivators. Someone just said to me earlier today in a meeting that the only way they're going to change is if we make it hard for them. They've got to feel the pain. And pain is different. I mean, fear could be a motivator. Fear could be a demotivator. So Mm -hmm. it's what I do, like for myself, I've already shared, I've done a lot of change through the years. And it's really, for me, it's about continuous growth, continuous improvement. And when I put that lens on a situation and I try to figure out what could improve here, what is the pain? And really ask people like, okay, so maybe things are going well, but if it could be better, what would you want to be better? And sometimes it's, I had one person say to me, my wife would like to see me, but they want me to work two full-time jobs because I'm good at both of them. And I said, well, then you have to figure out what your priorities are. I'm really excited to see more and more people are starting to promote what you'll call work-life balance or or just balancing life and all yeah. the facets, right? Yeah. Because for so long, it was push, 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 get that bigger job, get that bigger paycheck. And money's great, right? We can do a lot of really fun things. We can make a difference in the world. But we also have to pause and ask, if I'm putting all my time into making money, what am I missing out on? And so making sure that that those things that really jazz people and, and fill them up. And so that's where that piece of getting to know a person and what motivates them for change, that's going to be your biggest way of helping them become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and change change is uncomfortable. It's like you're sometimes walking through quagmire or sinking in quicksand. And then you've got to know you've got someone there who can help you get out of that situation. And That's where that trust building and kind of one of the things I really strive to do is build that trust with folks so that they know I'm there for them and I'm there with them. And then we do it together. So we've used this term a couple of times, agile coach. Some people on the call on the the audience may be familiar and some may not. How do you define what is an agile coach to you? So I tell people that I'm brought into companies who want to find better ways to work and who want to help their teams have more fun. And they're just not really sure how to do it. And so I come in with a fresh set of eyes and I observe people in their natural habitat. 
and I learn what's going on. And then I talk to them about what would you like to do better? And then we start to look at where would you like to go? And we create a plan together. And as a coach, I just, I just really help people get clear on if they could have things the way they'd like it, what would that look like? And what can we do to achieve it? Now let's make it happen. So, so when you ask those kinds of questions, you get lots of different kinds of answers and you learn a lot of things about people and teams. And some of those things are you find are very personal things. Some of those things are vendettas or you know interpersonal relationships. Some are political. Some are just fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I, I'm not confident or I'm worried. So where for you, and I know, Polly, you have also really gotten into life coaching and sort of outside of the business scope of things and helping people and understanding people and how they operate and how to live happier lives. So where do you see the line between I'm here to help you with a with a process or a method or I'm here to be a business coach, so to speak, and help you with business problems versus this interpersonal and life coach space, where do you see those lines crossing? It's, and it is important to see the lines because agile coaches or business coaches, we're not therapists. It's not, that's not our job, nor am I in my consulting capacity. I'm not there to be a life coach. So it's really important to understand people are people. And we can't take our personal lives. We can't say, okay, I'm going to work now. So I'm going to set my personal life aside and I'm going to go do my day job. And then I'm going to set my job aside and I'm going to go do my, my family life, right? We, we can't divide ourselves like that, even though some people like to think they can. And so it's really understanding what's going on. And often people at work will not tell you that what's really got them agitated is whatever happened at home. Like maybe the contractor showed up early and now I've got to find a new place to have my meeting and I'm running behind all the things, right? Well, that impacts you. So just let us know that that's going on. So everybody can be there with you and support you instead of trying to be so stoic. The men, what I mentioned before about the gentleman whose wife wanted to spend time with him, they had a brand new little person at home. And so helping him get clear on his priorities and then helping him learn how to speak up for himself with his managers and getting that clarity around. And it had nothing to do with me coaching him on his life. It had everything to do with me helping him figure out how to use the right mindset to have difficult conversations, to speak up for himself and help carry things forward in a, in a new, better ecological manner for him. Yeah, so it's not so much um, that you have to own all those different areas, but even recognizing that they exist, recognizing that your personal life exists and it shows up whether you think it does or not, and then knowing where to draw those lines and help them draw those lines is helpful in itself. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I think one of the biggest challenges some coaches have are boundaries. I know I've had to learn that one in, a, in many areas of my life because we want to help so much. And you can only help people who want to be helped or people who right. want to help themselves. And so the more that we try to push, sometimes the more resistance we get. Just like when you're walking through water, you can't run. You got to, if you just go with the flow. Right. And so I think as a coach, we get to just really 
figure it out along the way, just like everybody else's. Yeah, that's, I've never heard it described that way. That is very true. Sometimes the harder you push, the more resistance you get. So along those same lines, so as a consultant, which on one hand, you get to use a, a wide variety of all of your experience and knowledge, and it's, it's challenging. You're always expected to be a step ahead of where the client is. And it's not just a singular client, it's dozens or hundreds of people. And we need to stay ahead and sort of always learning and growing ourselves. So how do you do that as an individual? How do you challenge yourself to not sort of get set in your ways now that you're you know, getting into year three? Like, how do you grow? Yeah. So at my client site, one of the things that I do is I, I build a really great network. I didn't realize this isn't normal, I guess, but I just start to get to know all the people and how they interconnect and the engagements that go on, which allows me to see more opportunities. And then I continue to open doors and get to know more people. And doing good work, I think, has helped build a reputation that folks want our services, want my help, want to have my team of coaches working with them. So I think that plus the I've gotten some really fantastic support on the inside at my client where they are, they believe in me and they trust that I have their best interest in mind. And so that support allows me to continue to open new doors, preventing boredom. Mm -hmm. And then also on the outside, so I train at night. Right. I'm continuously, I've recently taken a leading with safe class and I'm going to become certified in that, not to teach it, but just to have that education. I train classes professionally. And that lets me get to know people around the world from many companies and see what else is going on and learn from them as well. So sure. that, plus we're very involved in our community. And so on a regular basis, going out and doing fun things like town celebrations and just getting engaged in the community and talking with different people and networking. I mean, all those are how I prevent myself from getting bored. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're always, you're always doing something. You're always very busy. And it's been said for a long time, if you really want to understand a subject, then teach it, right? Because you have to have a certain level of mastery to to be able to teach it. So I know you're always taking on new courses and doing a lot of that. Well, the 35 minutes here has flown by as it always does. And so we always finish with one question. And that mm -hmm. is looking back at your very wide variety of things that you've done in your career. You're sitting down with yourself as you're 18, graduating from school, or maybe a grandchild, which I know you have a grandchild that recently just celebrated kindergarten. So maybe a little early for, for him, but what advice do you give the, the young person about just life and how you can uh, live a better life? So I had an amazing dad who gave me a lot of really great advice that I never realized he was giving me until I was able to start applying it. I'm like, oh, daddy used to always say that. So I call them cliffisms. And so <laughs> the one that I tell people all the time is everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. And I've had an opportunity to, I just have conversations with leaders. I have conversations with CEOs, whoever. I don't care what your title is because we're all people. And we all go through the same circumstances. And so when I'm talking to teams and they say, you went up and talked to who? I'll say, but they're a person and they can help. And so that's, I think, the biggest thing that I tell everybody. 
is just everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. So don't be intimidated, right? Step up and well, very good. Well, it's been a blast doing the the show today with you, Polly. And thank you for all the work you do for us and our clients (laughs) and everything you do outside of work as well. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to the 1% Better Podcast. We hope you found it insightful and useful for your improvement journey. As always, you can access podcast transcripts and links to reference material at tricentialcom forward podcast. If you would like to be a guest on 1% Better, you can do it on the same site. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share, or rate our podcast. Until the next episode, here's to getting 1% better every day.